Jonah this morning in the third chapter. We are, we are, we are journeying through this book, and uh, for those of you who have been here for the beginning phases, you kind of know where we're at in regards to the study. If you haven't been here for the first few sermons, I encourage you that online are all the sermons, and you can go back and look at the first few chapters of Jonah and, and get a... Uh, get a taste of where we're at in this story or this narrative of the Old Testament, this Old Testament prophet. This morning we'll be in Jonah chapter number three. This is the third scene. We remember the first scene of the narrative is in chapter number one. It is Jonah running from the Lord. He finds himself in a a ship with uh, some mariners and he is um, found to be uh, guilty of running from the Lord, and the storm comes and begins to destroy the ship. The ship's about ready to sink, and the mariners decide we need to do something about it. And Jonah becomes, they become aware that Jonah is the guilty one for running from God, and they, um, they cast him off of the ship. And that's the first scene of the story in Jonah. The second scene is Jonah is in the belly of the fish. We dealt with that last week. And Jonah is reflecting in, the, in his time in the fish on his time in the, in the water. So he, he, he's sinking in the water. He's um, almost dead. The Bible says, and he refers to himself in chapter number two, as the bars have closed in on him and uh, the bars of Sheol or the bars of death. And so Jonah is really at that last uh, state of there's no hope for Jonah at that moment. And you can kind of picture where Jonah is at because many of us have been there in our lives spiritually. Um, We've been there at that point of just having no more strength, no more energy, no more hope. And then along comes this big fish and it swallows Jonah up. And the big fish has many... um, in opposition, really, to what many have taught, was a was a deliverance for Jonah. Now, that was the part of the story of Jonah where Jonah experiences God's salvation, and he is sweeped from the the chains of death. He is delivered by this huge fish that uh, in which he dwells for three days, and in that in the belly of the fish, the Lord teaches Jonah's, Jonah some lessons. He, he he prepares Jonah for that uh, being spit out of the fish. What is Jonah going to do after he's out of the fish? And so chapter number two is the second scene where Jonah is in the fish and he's reflecting on some of the lessons that he learned about the Lord while in that, the fish's belly. And, and we learn this, and this is super important to the narrative of Jonah. Anytime somebody runs from the Lord or says no to the Lord, it's because they have a skewed view of the Lord, Right? They don't really know him for who he really is, because if they did, you know, who's going to say no to God? Right to his face, right? He tells them, go to Nineveh, and who is going to say no to God unless they have some type of a warped view of God? They obviously don't know God for who he really is in the Bible. The challenge to that is, is we say no to God on a regular basis. We are in the same condition as Jonah is, where God tells us to, you know, whatever it might be, God tells us to love our wives as Christ loved the church, and right, we don't. God tells wives to be submissive to their husbands, and and they don't. God tells children to obey their parents in the Lord for this is right, and they don't. And these are just a few. I mean, we could go through the scriptures, and we can look at all the commands that God gives us in his word of things that he expects us to do because we are his children, right? And yet we, we wrestle to say yes to it because we wrestle with a recognition of his authority. We, we wrestle with an understanding of who he is. And, and we need to get that right. And once we get the, the authority issue right, then we can move on to the obedience piece of the puzzle. So what does God do? Jonah, God comes to Jonah and says, Jonah, go to Nineveh and preach the gospel. Jonah says, no, I'm not going to do it. And he sets out on this running journey. And God says, you, you are going to do it, Jonah. You're going to do exactly what I told you to do. But you're gonna, now you're going to do it in, in a more difficult way, right? So when you say no to God and you run from God, it doesn't mean that you're not going to do what God's telling you to do because he remains sovereign. What it does mean is you've just made the process more difficult. You've made the journey harder. Right? So, God, so then God sends a storm, and the, the ship is 
uh, being being beat and is about ready to to, to sink, and they and and Jonah's there, and they all point the finger at Jonah. They cast lots. There's no questioning in the story who is the guilty one. So they they throw Jonah over. Then this big fish comes along and swallows Jonah up. All this is a part of God's way of teaching Jonah certain things, right? You may be in a situation right now in your Christian life where you have said no to God about uh, whatever it might be. It might be sharing the gospel with your neighbor. It might be loving somebody who's not lovable. It might be a number of different things that you're not doing that God is telling you to do. And you may be in the midst of a storm and you don't know why you're in, yeah, right? Why am I in this storm? And you, you know that you've said no to God, but you've never heard that when you say no to God, storms come. Never heard that before. And when you say no to God, storms come, right? That's what happens. And so some of you are in a storm right now because you have said no to God about something and you wonder why that storm is there. You wonder, why am I going through this difficulty? Some of you may not be in the storm. Some of you may be in the, in the fish's belly. You may, be, you may be past the storm, but God's trying to get you to process the storm, right? He's trying to get you to think about, what, did I, what, what should I have learned in that storm, and we learn a lot about ourselves when we go through storms. We learn about our, our weaknesses. We learn about our, our, our guilt. We learn about our sinfulness. We learn about our, our lack of ability to, to solve our problem, right? But really, the storm is meant to teach us things about God, right? It's meant to teach us what God is like. It's meant to reveal to us things about God. That's why in, in Jonah 2, um, I'm just going to read the, the uh, last two verses in verse number 9 and 10. It says, you can follow along with me, it says, but I with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the, the Bible basically describes Jonah's attitude, his, his, his response to who God is at the end of this um, time in the belly's fish, that he is now thankful for what he has gone through. He's, he's recognizing some of the things that he uh, is supposed to learn and now he's going to make sacrifices to the Lord, and now he is going to be obedient to the Lord for the things that he has vowed to the Lord because he recognizes and understands that salvation is the Lord's. It's, it's the Lord's gift. It's the Lord's possession. The Lord is able to give salvation to whomever he wants, and if the Lord decides to send Jonah to a group of people that are his enemies that he really hates, if the Lord decides to send Jonah to a group of people that he hates, guess what Jonah's responsibility is? Well, Lord, I don't think salvation should be to the Ninevites, right? See, that's where Jonah missed the picture. Jonah had to come to realize that salvation belongs to the Lord. That means that the Lord gives salvation to whomever he pleases. That's why it says in, in Romans 9 that God shows mercy to whomever he wants to show mercy. And he might use you as a vessel to preach the gospel to an individual that he has chosen to show mercy to, and your responsibility is to do what? It's to preach the gospel. Our responsibility is to do what God has called us to do, what God requires us of us to do in his word. God's responsibility is to bring forth some fruits of that, right? It's not your job to bring forth the fruits. It's your job to sow the seed. It's your job to water the seed. It's God's job to bring forth the fruits. So Jonah goes through all of that. God teaches him that God is the one who is in control and God is the one who is sovereign. And at that moment, right, so Jonah figures it out. He's like, okay, yeah, I get it. Salvation belongs to the Lord. I'm going to Nineveh, right? I got my ticket stamped. And at that moment, the Bible says at the end of the chapter, the Lord speaks to the fish, right? And that should cause us pause. That should cause us some pause, right? The Lord speaks to the fish. So the Lord has the ability to communicate with animals, and you know, it's interesting, the Lord tells the fish to vomit Jonah out, and there's no argument. There's no debate. The fish doesn't say to the Lord, well, you know, I don't know if that's the right thing to do. This guy inside of me was really a jerk, right? So I don't think this is really a great thing, so I think I'll just keep him inside of me for a while longer. You know, the animals don't argue with the Lord. They don't. They don't wrestle with the Lord. Everything that they do is complete and total submission to the Lord. It's we, as human beings, who have the who argue with the Lord and run from the Lord and do what we think is, is best. We have more wisdom than he does, we think. But the fish doesn't. God speaks to the fish, and God shows Jonah through the fish that I am sovereign. Not just sovereign over the fish, Jonah, but I'm sovereign over you. 
You see, God's position with the fish is no different than God's position with Jonah, right? God's position with the fish is no different. The difference is, is the person versus the fish. And so therefore, God goes through some more challenging, uh, extended, if you will, difficulties to get Jonah to do what the fish did, which was to do what? It was to vomit. Yep, that's exactly what the fish did. But he vomited in, he vomited in obedience. That's what the Lord is working out in Jonah's heart. He's working out who is in control and who is sovereign. And the Lord is not going to use Jonah to perform a great um, uh, revival that we're going to see in Nineveh until Jonah comes to recognize that. Jonah's attitude towards the Ninevites, as we see in chapter number four, is still struggling, isn't it? He is actually angry that the Ninevites get saved. The whole, the whole country of Ninevites, or the whole city of the Ninevites gets saved, and, and, and he's, like, he's like upset about it. But you know what Jonah wasn't questioning anymore? He wasn't questioning who God was. He came to recognize who God was, and that was enough for God to use him. Sometimes it's not that we have to like what God calls us to do. Sometimes we don't even have to like the people that God calls us to serve. But what we do have to do is we have to know that he is the one that's sovereign, and he is the one that's in control. So chapter number three is Jonah's second chance. Amen? Isn't it good to know that God is a God of second chances? He gives Jonah a second chance. And this is the third scene that we find the prophet. He's just been vomited out by the fish, and he's going to be given a second chance opportunity by God to go to Nineveh and warn them of, co- of coming judgment. And, this, uh, and the theme of this chapter is simply that God's mercy allows for second chances. God's mercy allows for, for second chances. And this is so important because especially this morning, if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, you're not saved, you've never submitted to Jesus Christ in the, um, from the perspective of being forgiven for your sins, God will give you a second chance. He gives the second, matter of fact, I believe that the reason why you're here this morning is because God has decided to give you a second chance. And every time you hear the gospel, you are being given a second chance that Jesus died for your sins, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And and he is offering to you the forgiveness of sins that comes on the basis of what his son Jesus Christ accomplished for you. And he's offering that to you over and over and over and over again because our God is a God of second chances. He's constantly giving us second chances. If you're here this morning and you're a believer, you've been a follower of Jesus Christ maybe for a number of years, but you have run from God's calling. There are certain services that God has called you to. There are certain things that God has asked you to do in his word or maybe just through his spirit. Maybe he's asked you to be friendly to somebody that's not friendly to you. Maybe he's asked you to love somebody that's not lovable or he's asked you to submit to somebody that's not easy to submit to. All of those things are commanded in God's word that we are supposed to do those things. We're supposed to love the unlovable. We're supposed to submit to the ones that are harsh towards us, right? He tells us this all throughout his word. Maybe you're here this morning and you are, and you have found yourself to have said no to God on a number of his commands, and, and now you're in this state of storm or belly of fish, and it's time that you're going to get spewed out, and... God is going to give you a second chance. He's going to give you a second chance. And all I want us to learn this morning is four things from Jonah's story, the narrative of Jonah, that will help us understand what that second chance is going to look like. Always when God gives us second chances, there are certain characteristics that come along with that, and we will learn those from Jonah's narrative. Let me give you a few thoughts before we read the text. God is clearly the God of second chances. We see that throughout Scripture. We see it with David, whom God gives a number of different chances to. We see it with the Apostle Paul. We see it with Samson. We see it with Jonah here. We see it with Jeremiah. A number of the prophets are initially say no to the Lord. They didn't, they didn't want to go and do what they were called to do, but God still commissions them to go. Here's what I want you to note, though, Okay? While we see that our God is a God of second chances, we must also note that God doesn't always give second chances. 
While we see our God's character as being a God of second chances, we must remember that God doesn't always give second chances. And he's never required to give a second chance. He never owes anybody a second. Matter of fact, the reality of it is he doesn't owe us a first chance. But he never owes us a second chance. Whether it be for salvation, you hear the gospel one time, there is no owing on God's part to let you hear the gospel a second time. You should have responded the first time. But yet you're here this morning getting to hear the gospel again. If you've run from God, you found yourself in a storm, you found yourself in the belly of a fish, there's no requirement for God to use you again. It would have been just as easy for God to say, hey, Jonah number two, let's go. Go to Nineveh and preach the gospel. But you know what God does? God takes that marred clay the scripture tells us about, and he makes a vessel that's usable for his glory. Even though it's marred in his hands, he makes a vessel usable for his glory. Remember this. God, although he is a God of second chances, is never required to give a second chance. We see that with Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5, where they lie to the Holy Spirit, and they die on the spot. Where'd their second chance go? We see it with Uzzah in the Old Testament in Genesis, who touches the ark to steady it. The ark is is shaking. They put it on a cart that it wasn't supposed to be on, and the ark is going to fall and hit the ground, and Uzzah goes out and he touches it, and he immediately dies. Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Eli, they make an offering to the Lord and they mix wine with it or they mix alcohol with the offering and immediately the fire from the altar kills them? What happened to these guys' second chances? God is never required to give us a second chance. He doesn't owe us a second chance. So this morning we're going to look at some characteristics, four characteristics, give you some basic truths from these characteristics from Jonah that will help you, whatever, whatever boat you're in, no pun intended there, whatever boat you're in with this whole thing about second chances, uh, it'll help you understand what to do when you face that second chance. So let's read the text together in uh, the third chapter of Jonah. The Bible says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, Go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. In other words, it took three days to walk across the, um, the entire city. I believe 60 miles is what the estimation is that it would take to get across the entire city. It was about 20 miles of travel per day. The Bible says, Jonah began to go into the city, going about a day's journey, and he called out, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And if you can, if you can just picture with me, picture this, the, the narrative in your mind. Jonah is like one who comes into a city with a newspaper, with a, with a headline, right? And on that headline, he's like, hear ye, hear ye. And if you can picture it from the old days where the newspapers would come into town and, and the, little, the, the young boys would be hired to ride around the town on their bikes with the newspapers and they would be crying out some type of a, a headline on that newspaper to attract people's attention so that they would stop and buy the newspaper, right? That's kind of how things went back in the, back in the days before we had the internet and all of the news on the internet. This is what Jonah was doing. Jonah was a proclaimer here. He, he, he was going in and he was crying out a headline. And the headline was very simple. There wasn't any complexity to it. He wasn't giving a deep theological, uh, robust explanation of what's going to take place in the near future. He just simply gives them, it's literally five words in the Hebrew language. He just gives them a simple statement of, this is what's going to happen. I believe that Jonah probably said exactly what the Lord told him to say because he didn't want to say any more. I don't think he was at the point where he was in love with those people. He was, at that point, he was submissive to his God. And that's what he needed to be. He goes, he goes on to say in the text that he, he says, Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh, and the people of Nineveh believed God. 
They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and set in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published throughout Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let them, let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil ways and from the violence that is in their hands. Who knows, God may turn and relent and turn from, the fierce, from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. And when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God relented of the disaster that he had said that he would do to them, and he did not do it. Our main text this morning is going to be the first five verses here. We're going to learn four things about Jonah's second chance to serve the Lord. If you're taking notes, so you can follow along on the outline that I passed, or that one of the men passed out. Uh, it will be helpful as you follow along. Um, it will help you to follow along. The first thing that we learn from Jonah in regards to his second chance is that second chances follow specific lessons. Second chances follow specific lessons. What you see at the beginning of chapter number three is the conjunction then. This conjunction implies that something has happened leading up to this point. Something has taken place leading up to this point that has made it possible for the following events to take place. So on the basis of the events that preceded this chapter, this chapter becomes possible. So the conversion of Nineveh becomes possible on the basis of what took place in chapter number two, which was Jonah learning the lesson that God is in control. Jonah learning to be submissive to God because God is sovereign. Jonah learning the character of God and obeying God, and that led to the uh, conversion of the Ninevites, the entire city being converted. So there's a certain lesson that Jonah had to learn prior to the events of the third chapter, the conversion of these people, to take place. Certain activities that needed to happen. The things that were keeping Jonah from being obedient to God on the first time had to be dealt with before God could bless Jonah and his endeavors. And there are a number of different things that could have played into Jonah's inability or unwillingness to obey God that had to be dealt with. I just wrote down a few that might be helpful for you. He might have had a low view of God. He might have developed a, a modernized view of God that was God is just our friend. He's just our companion. He's just kind of a, a, cool, a cool guy that walks along with us. We're kind of, kind of co-equals and, and not having a reverential fear of God or a respectful fear of God may have been that he had a high view of himself. He thought himself to be super significant because he was a prophet of the Lord. He was called by God and commissioned by God. And he was, he was a, a Jew and he was all of these things that would have made him perhaps feel somewhat elevated could have caused him to feel like he had the right to say no to God. These things had to be dealt with before Jonah was going to be able to be used in the in the miracle that takes place in chapter number three. There had to be specific lessons learned by Jonah for him to be usable by God in the capacity that God was going to use him in. And there's a number of stories in the Bible that give us this picture. I, I think of Peter denying the Lord three times before he preaches at Pentecost, and God had to humble him, bring him to the end of himself, bring him to a brokenness where Scripture says that he weeps bitterly. He, 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 he uncontrollably weeps for his sinfulness, and God takes that situation, and God takes and uses Peter to preach one of the most powerful sermons in all of Scripture, resulting in one of the most powerful revivals in all of Scripture. But it took Jonah, it took Peter, it took other men in the Scriptures, it took lessons for them to learn prior to being able to be used by God in that capacity. A high view of self, a low view of God, perhaps it's some type of an emotional struggle, anger, or bitterness, or a... Uh, uh, um, or maybe Jonah had become super comfortable 
with uh, not having struggles or difficulties. There's a lot of different things, a lot of different reasons why we don't do what God has called us to do or tells us to do. And so God has to work those details out before he can use us for what he called us to do and told us to do. You think about it, the Hebrew people, how many years did the Hebrew people wander in the wilderness? How many years did they wander in the wilderness? God promised them to go into Canaan, right? That you will enter into the promised land. How many years did it take them to get there? It took them 40 years to get into the promised land. Why did it take them 40 years to get into the promised land? Because they said no, and God had to teach them who was in control. You see, God had to teach them when they went in and they spied out the land and they said, hey, the Canaanites, they're huge people. I mean, there's some giants there. They make us look like grasshoppers. God had to teach them that God makes giants look like grasshoppers. And do you know how he taught them that? He taught them that by taking them 40 years to a wilderness. He taught, about, he taught them that by breaking a rock open and having water come out of it. He taught them that by having food come out of heaven. He taught them that through a number of different ways. But listen to me, they could not enter into the promised land before learning the lesson. And Moses never got into the promised land. You might have a promised land in your mind, a relationship promised land, a financial promised land, uh, 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 some other type of a promised land that you see in scriptures, God, God giving you um, a hope for having at some point in time. But you wonder, you know, why am I in a storm or why am I in the belly's fish? Because you're not going to get there until you learn the lesson. There's a lesson to be learned. There's something that God is teaching you. There's a hindrance in your life to, to your obeying God, and God's going to deal with that hindrance before he's going to use you to do something. The hindrance to, to Jonah's obedience had to be removed before God was going to use him. And we must remember this. God always deals with hindrance to our obedience through trials. God always deals with hindrances to our obedience by using trials. Another term or a few terms that are um, interchangeable with trials in the Bible would be chastening. It would be discipline or discipleship. It's a picture of a child. The Bible says um, uh, about fathers in in Ephesians 6 and verse 4, fathers, bring up your children in the discipline and admonition of the Lord, right? To discipline them for the Lord. That's what the Lord does in these storms. If, you, if you'll join me, we're going we're gonna to make a transition here to Hebrews 12 and look at another passage that gives us this, that unfolds this thought for us. The Lord teaches us certain lessons before he uses us. He removes certain things from our life to prepare us to be used by God in a specific way. Listen to what the scripture says in Hebrews 12 and verse 7. It says, it is for discipline that you have to endure, but God is treating you as a son. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, I'm in verse verse 8 of Hebrews 12. If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have an earthly father who disciplines us and we respect him. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best for them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness." For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. And we can all say amen to that, right? It always seems painful. But watch this. But later, it yields the fruitful, the peaceful fruits of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping heads and strengthen your weak knees and make straight straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau. Watch this. Like Esau. Remember Esau did? Esau sold his birthright for a a bowl of stew, which is... which is symbolic of selling your soul for something that's really worthless. 
That's what the symbol is. The picture is Esau sold his soul for a bowl of soup. That doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? But listen to me. We sell our soul for pornography. We sell our soul for sexual sin. We sell our soul for money. We sell our soul for the same things, for bowls of stew. But the Bible says this about Esau. Don't do that, he says. Don't sell your soul for something cheap. And then he says this about Esau. For you know that afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no second chance. That's what it says about Esau. He found no second, he found no chance, no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. You see, God disciplines us. He takes us through, is what the text says. God takes us through storms and fishes' bellies, and he prepares us, and he he equips us to to know him because he loves us. He wants us to to know him better and to understand him and to respect him and to obey him and to submit to him so that he might use us to do the things that he wants us to do. And while some never get a second chance, others get a second chance, and they say no the second time when they never get a third chance. I think that we're a people, the danger is we're a people that are on our thousandth chance, and we've become so comfortable with getting another chance that we've, we've become good at just saying no. Second Timothy 2, verses 20 through 22 says, Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable use. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Setting, setting those things, setting us apart through these trials and difficulties so number one, again, if you're following along, second chances follow specific lessons. And those lessons are always performed through trials. They're always, we're always taught through difficulty. Number two, second chances focus on the children of God. Watch what he says here. Go back to our text in Jonah. He says this. So notice that, first of all, notice the similarities between chapter one and three. It's literally the same exact command, isn't it? But, Jonah cha- but God changes it l- a little bit. And so when God makes a little change but not a big change, we want to notice the little change. Here's the change. He says to Jonah, he says, Go to Nineveh and speak against them, that great city, and call out against it. And then he says this, The message that I will tell you. Now, here's the slight change. In chapter number one, he says, because the sins of Nineveh have come up against me, right? So Jonah is called initially to go and to preach to Nineveh because of Nineveh's sins. True? Jonah is called to go a second time to Nineveh because of Jonah's sins. You see, God has changed from his concern for Nineveh to being a concern for Jonah. It is, my, it is my argument and my belief that God's, that this entire narrative is about Jonah and not about Nineveh. I believe that God called Jonah to go to Nineveh because he knew it would be the greatest challenge for Jonah. And I believe that the entire story, Nineveh is a, Nineveh is a peripheral in the story. Jonah and God are the, care, are the themes, are the subjects of the book of Jonah. And God is using fish. He's using mariners. He's using Ninevites. He's using a plant. God is using all of these things as peripherals because God is working on whom? God is working on Jonah. God is working on Jonah And there's a lot of things that happen around us in our lives and how we function. There's a lot of things that God uses the world to accomplish in our lives, but God's focus is on whom? Think about it. Romans 8.28, For we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. In other words, God is working everything out for good for his children. 
And it doesn't mean that he has any limitations on what he can use to accomplish that. And so he uses mariners, he uses storms, he uses fish, he uses plants, he uses whatever it takes to get your attention. You ask yourself the question right, right now as we're sitting here, what is God using right now to get my attention and do I have the ears to hear what he's trying to teach me? It's interesting in Matthew, in, Matthew, in John 10, Jesus says this, my sheep hear my voice. You know something? That is a pretty astounding statement. When you really think about it, that is an amazing statement. Because you know how hard it is to hear the voice of God? My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they, what do they do? They follow me. They follow me. They do what I ask them to do because they trust me. Second chances focus on the children of God. Again, the initial call was for Nineveh because they were sinful. The second call or the second chance is completely focused on Jonah's disobedience. He simply says, Jonah, my focus right now is on your obedience. You say exactly what I tell you to say. You say exactly what I tell you to say. Because he's working on Jonah being obedient. He's working on Jonah being obedient. Obedient. I believe in this story, Jonah is revealed as a rebel by the call, that his rebellion is set to the forefront by the mariners, and that his rebellion is dealt with by the fish and the storms. First Peter 4.17, the Bible says, For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us... What shall the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And then in Romans 9 says, What if God, who desired to show his wrath and to make his power known, has endured with much patience the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has promised beforehand for glory? You think about the Israelites again. We go back to the Israelites in Egypt. God sends ten plagues. On, on the Egyptians, right? And he, and, he, and he increasingly builds on each plague so that the last plague is the worst plague that they would experience. Was God focused on the Egyptians or was God focused on the Israelites? God was focused on the Israelites. What God wanted the Israelites to know when they left Egypt was it was by his hand that they left Egypt. He says it over and over again. He says, I want them to know that it is by my strong hand that they are leaving. Why? Because God knew this. The Israelites would turn back and want to go back to Egypt when things got hard. God wants us to obey him fully and faithfully. And he wants us to obey him the first time, but oftentimes we get it right the second time. Second chances, remember this in regards to uh, the, the, um, um, the second point, the, uh, actually the third point, I wanted to go to the third point and then we'll look at the fourth. Second chances function under the same requirements, okay? He goes on, he describes them, this great nation, he said that in chapter number one, go and preach the gospel to them. The same, the same thing he's, he's called to do, the same thing the second time he's called to do the first time. Okay, God's commands on Jonah are the same the first time as they are the second time. Same people, same sacrifice, same message, same calling, same difficulty. Remember this, second chances for obedience don't make it easier. Second chances for obedience don't make it. God didn't come to Jonah and was like, yeah, I know. I know I made it really hard on you the first time, so I'll just lighten the load this time a little bit for you and make it a little bit easier for you so that you can obey better, right? God doesn't do that at all. Matter of fact, the, the reason he, I think, reiterates word for word practically the command from chapter number one to chapter number three is because God expects nothing less than exact obedience to his first command. Nothing less. 
He doesn't change his command at all. And when you say no to God the first time, it doesn't make it easier the second time. God isn't going to change what he calls you to do. He isn't going to lighten the load and make it easier. Things are often more difficult because we have said no to God. And now we have to carry the guilt and the chastening along with us of saying no to God into obedience to his word. You ever been there before? You ever been there for a season where you just said no to God, no to God, no to God, and you finally said yes to God, but now you're saying yes to God and you're being obedient to God and you're doing what he says and you're carrying the guilt of the fact that you had said no to him for so long? It doesn't get, the weight doesn't get lighter, it gets heavier. It's always better to say yes to God the first time. It's always better to say yes to God the first time, but God is a God of second chances and he will give you a second chance but it will be a weighty second chance. You think of David. David was allowed to continue to be king after he committed, um, um, had an affair with Bathsheba, after he killed Uriah. He did all of these things. He was not only allowed to be king, he was, God said, you're going to remain in the position of being king. But you know the weight that, that David carried with him for the rest of his being king? I mean, people all knew what he did. You think it was easy to be king after that point as it was before that point? No, it was a weight on his being king. God still, God still called him to do it. God still allowed him to do it. God still positioned him to lead his people and expected them to follow him. But it was, it was more difficult on him after his disobedience than it was before his disobedience. And that's the way it is. When we say no to God the first time, we are often given second chances. We are often allowed to do what God has called us to do, but there's a weight that comes with it. There's a hardship that comes with it. And you may be in a relationship, a husband and wife relationship this morning, and you may have for years not loved your wife as you ought, and you've come to the place where you say, you know what, Lord, I'm going to finally submit, and I'm going to love my wife like Christ loved the church. Know this, that there's a weight that goes along with that. Because you carry the burden of the fact that you didn't love your wife as you ought for years. Right? There's a burden that comes along. It's a weight. It's not easier. God doesn't lighten the load on Jonah. He now says, you're going to go to Nineveh and you're going to carry with you the weight of the fact that you told me no. And the storm that you were in. And the fishes. You got all that to carry with you. But you still have to do the same exact thing that I called you to do because God is still God and Jonah is still supposed to be submissive. And the issue for Jonah is obedience. Hebrews 12 and verse number one, the Bible says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely to us. What the author of Hebrews is saying is, is there are weights and there are sins that are holding you back, and that's exactly what Jonah is dealing with with this second chance. You know what it is for Jonah? It's a weight. It's a sin. And yeah, he has to cast it aside, but he has to cast it aside almost daily because it's a battle for him. The Lord says in Ephesians 6, verse 1 through 3, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. Honor your parents, obey your parents, submit to your parents. Why? So that it will be well with you. So that it will be well with you. Why? Because disobeying your parents makes life hard. And may I submit to you this morning that disobeying God makes life hard. It makes life difficult. In whatever capacity God is calling you to do, it makes life difficult. He says, obey your parents, love your wives, submit to your husbands, love your neighbors, be a witness of the gospel, you know, feed your enemies, all of these things that it might be well with you and that you may live long in the land. And he's speaking specifically of the promised land, the, the, the victorious Christian life. The last thought this morning that I want to share with you is second chances facilitate God's purposes. The second chances facilitate God's purposes. 
As we go on throughout these, 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 these five verses, what we find at the end is that Jonah goes and he does exactly what God has told him to do. He, he preaches the truth. He warns them about coming judgment. And, he, and, God, and God turns their world upside down. If you look at the fruits of Nineveh, you would never think that he was using a runaway servant to accomplish it, would you? Isn't it true that when you, think about the, when you think about the great revivals that take place, you look at the leaders and you're like, man, God must have used a really profound guy to accomplish that. No, God used Jonah, the same guy that just a few uh, scenes ago was running from God, telling him no, in the, in the ship, in the belly of the fish, in the bottom of the ocean. That's the same guy that Jonah is using because... When God gives us second chances, it doesn't hinder God at all. God's purposes are never hindered by your disobedience. God's plans are never hindered by your failures. That makes you God. God continues to accomplish whatever he desires to accomplish in spite of our failures. You see, you might be sitting here this morning and you might be like, you know what? I'm on my thousandth chance, Pastor John. I don't know if I have any hope. Listen to me. There is amazing hope. Your life, you, your life can be turned around. Your children's lives can be turned around. Your husband's life can be turned around. Your wife's life can be turned around. Your neighbor's life can be turned around. Your enemy's life can be turned around. There's nothing impossible with God. If you're an obedient servant, yes, you take the responsibility of the fact that you have failed and that there are certain weights that hold you back. But know this, be obedient to God and let God worry about the fruits. He converted the whole city, folks, with a a runaway prophet who decided that God was bigger than he was and therefore he was willing to submit even in his failures. There is nothing about our second chances that limits God. Remember that. There's nothing about a second chance that limits God. There's a lot about second chances that limit you, but there's nothing about a second chance that limits God. When you come on that second chance, when you, God says, hey, go to church today, Go walk into those churches and just hear what they have to say. Listen, that's a second chance. Grab it and run with it. God speaks through Jonah. The people see God in Jonah. It's interesting because the people say that the Bible says that they heard, they heard the words of, the Bible says they heard the words of God. Well, God wasn't the one speaking to them, what was he? Jonah was the one speaking to them, but they heard the words of God through Jonah. That's because God's not limited by our failures. The people believe God because of Jonah, and the people respond to God through Jonah. All of God's purposes from the very beginning were accomplished through Jonah. It just took some pain to get there. It took some heartache to get there. It took some hardship to get there. The Bible says this, Isaiah 59, verse 1 and 2, Behold, the Lord's hands are not shortened that they cannot save, nor is his ear dull that he cannot hear. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God's hand is not shortened that he can't save? Can he save your marriage? Can he save your relationship with your neighbor? Can he save your relationship with your children? Can he save your soul? Is there anything that God can't save? Is there anything that God can't save? The question is, is do you believe that? Because you failed. You've run like Jonah. Maybe you ran faster and farther than Jonah did. Maybe God didn't send the same type of a, I'm going to get you back quick, as quick as he did Jonah. Maybe you went a long way and you went way, way outside of where you should have been. Do you believe that God can restore you? Do you believe he can? I believe that there's nothing impossible with God, right? 
Is the Lord's hand that he cannot shorten? That is, is, the land, is the Lord's hand shortened that he cannot save? Are his ears dull? Are his eyes not capable of seeing? I don't believe so. I believe that God gives us second chances and plans to do through our second chances exactly what he planned to do through our first chance. It's always easier to say yes the first time. Amen? It does get more difficult. It does get more challenging. The more you say no, the more challenging and the more difficult it gets. But know this, it doesn't weaken God's ability. It never weakens God's ability. My call to you today, my challenge to you is to surrender to God. See God for who he is. In whatever place you are at, in the, whether in the storm, in the fish's belly, wherever you're at, that God is revealing to you. He's teaching you something about himself for the purpose of bringing you to a state of submission. It's always easier to say yes the first time, but it doesn't limit God when we say yes the second time. It doesn't limit God when we say yes the second time. Remember, the whole story is about God and Jonah. Or we could say the whole story is about God and us. It might include Ninevites. It might include mariners. It might include boats, storms, fishes, fish, bushes. It might include whatever object God desires for it to include. But the story is about you and God. It's about God accomplishing his purposes and you submitting to his will. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for this. We thank you for this narrative, for this story that you have written in your word to give us a a picture of what life is like and and how uh, you work through challenging circumstances to accomplish your purposes, both in Jonah's life, but, but in our lives as well. We pray that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, that we might know what you're working to accomplish, be submissive to your will, and glorify your name. Please go with us as we go from this place. Help us to be mindful of your goodness and your grace, and we'll give you the thanks and the praise for it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.